growing up in church, I was a, I was a pastor's kid, and you know, all trouble begins with pastor's kids. And uh, you know, you grow up in church, and there's a lot of things that you just you just accept by faith, and you don't understand them. And some of the terminology and things that, uh, you know, as a new person walking into church for the first time, you hear Christians talk, and sometimes it's a completely foreign language. And one of those things that I heard growing up in the song that we sang, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if I am so grateful and thankful for grace that saved me, grace that brought me out of where I was headed, and as a People, they ask my testimony, and I I tell them, you know, when I got saved, I was behind bars. They were crib bars, but they were bars, and I had just come off the bottle, and, uh, you know, all of those things that, uh, you know, just a baby bottle, and, you know, I didn't have the testimony that God saved me and pulled me out of a pit. God saved me. I was laying in a gutter, throwing in my own vomit one day, and the Lord came down and touched me. I don't have that testimony. And we were sitting around with a group of people and we were sharing our testimonies and I started out by saying my testimony is pretty simple. I grew up in a pastor's home at four years old. I heard our, our kindergarten teacher. I don't even remember what it was. The class was eager beavers on a Wednesday night and the pastor's wife was teaching a lesson on hell and I don't know if she was trying to scare us. I don't know what she was doing. We were bad and she was telling us we're all going to hell if we don't behave. I don't know what the deal was but I do remember I went home after that Wednesday night and I said to my dad, Dad, I want to be saved. I don't know what that means but I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to that place the teacher was talking about tonight. And he sat me down and I sat in front of him. He was in his blue lazy boy recliner in our house, steps to our left, birdcage to my back. And I remember him going through what it meant to be saved. And I, and I knew that I wanted to be saved, but I didn't understand everything. I didn't know what it all meant. But as I got older and as I began to study the word of God, I began to understand what that process was and how I was redeemed. And that young, that man that was sitting next to me, he had the testimony of that guy that was, that grew up and wasn't in church and his parents weren't saved and he spent his days in bars and his nights in bars and he's the one who is laying in the gutter in his own vomit and somebody came by and told him about God. And he looked at me after he gave his testimony. And I was sitting there thinking, man, if I had a testimony like that, God could really use me. And he said to me, he said, if I had a testimony like yours, I'd give everything to not have that testimony that I have. He said, you don't understand the grace of God that kept you from the things that I got involved with. You see, I learned a little bit more about grace that day. Grace is not simply that thing that saves us. So many times we look at that, that word grace and we go to that song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and that's where grace ends. But grace doesn't end at our salvation. Grace begins at our salvation and is that it is that thing which continually conforms us and changes us and makes us into that image of God that he wants us to become. We are to be like Jesus who was full of grace and truth. You see, grace doesn't stop over here where we get saved. 
grace is just beginning. And I, and I began to think about grace and what grace is and, and how it works in our life. And, and you know, when you begin to pray for grace, you begin to pray for patience, you begin to pray for love for people, God does not give you grace. God does not give you love. God does not give you joy or happiness. God gives you opportunities to learn how to have grace. My wife and I, I try on our anniversaries to take her away and do something special with her. And I don't remember what anniversary, I was trying to remember today what number anniversary it was, but I told her, I said, we're gonna go away and I've got something special for you. And I had reserved in Chicago, right on the Lakeshore Drive, I had reserved a room that faced out over Lake Michigan. And I thought, this is gonna be the most romantic weekend of our lives. We didn't have any money, but I scraped up everything I could, borrowed credit cards, used uh, gift cards, everything that I could to, to get into that hotel. It was a lot of money at that time. It's a lot of money today. But we booked our hotel and, and I got our car and took it to the, took it to the cleaners and got it all cleaned out and, and had it spick and span and shiny and we got in that car. She had no idea where we we're going. And I said, we're going, when she got in the car, I said, we're going to Chicago. And it's just gonna be us for three days. And we got in Chicago, got into Chicago, and, and we were just so excited seeing the big city. Grew up in Adrian where there's nothing. And uh, so to go to the big city and to see Chicago and all the, the buildings and the skyscrapers and the lake shore and everything there, it was just so exciting that we could get some time alone. We pulled up to the door, and I never do this, I'm too cheap, but this time I did. I pulled up to the door and I said, we're just gonna let them park the car. So they happily looked at our minivan going, are you sure you're in the right hotel? <laughs> and I got out and puffed out my chest a little bit and said, this is where we're staying. Got our luggage and we went into the hotel and I mean, it's just, it's, it's our anniversary. It's time to forget all of the problems and all of the difficulties and all the fights and all the things that went on all year. It's just time for us to remember why we got into this thing in the beginning. And we walked into the hotel, and it was a Star Trek convention. <laughs> so here we are on the most romantic time of our year, and these Star Trek figures are everywhere. Long things hanging off their head, and everybody dressed up in masks and costumes, and I'm thinking, Way to go, Cox. Nice move. So we kind of laughed it off and we went to the room and got changed for the thing for the evening and we went to a play and we came back and oh, it was just a great, great night and everybody had gone to their convention parts and we didn't see anybody. And so the next morning we had uh, breakfast down in the, in the hotel lobby, in the hotel restaurant, a buffet. And it came with the room. And so I'm like, baby, we're going down to the buffet. <laughs> and we went down there and, you know, we sit on the same side of the booth. We don't do that regularly. I like to look at her or look over her towards the TV. And uh, so we're sitting on the same side of the booth and we're trying to be romantic and we're trying to just, 
just make it the anniversary time that we, that we so desperately need every year. And we're talking and trying to be romantic and flirting with each other. And the older you get, the harder it is to flirt. And so sometimes it comes out right. The next booth over, there were four ladies sitting in that booth. And they began to get louder than our conversation. And their conversation was not a conversation that ladies should be having unless these ladies were sailors that had shipped in from the naval base in Chicago. And I'm trying to talk to Rebecca and they're talking and they're just being vulgar. And I told my wife, I said, I cannot believe that ladies would talk like this. Well, excuse me, women would talk like this. And we'd talk and they'd, they'd talk and they'd make comments and just, I just couldn't believe the things that were coming out of their mouth. And he, finally, these ladies did not understand that we were here for our anniversary and you were messing it all up. And so I felt compelled to tell them how much they were messing up our weekend. And so I walked over to their booth and I said, excuse me, but the language that you ladies are using is uncalled for. We are trying to celebrate our anniversary and you are messing it all up. And I turned around and walked away. And they said, oh, could you believe that he would come over here and tell us to quit talking like that? Do you believe? And the whispering went on. And I went back and at the moment I sat down, I felt like, yeah, I showed them. And then the Holy Spirit knocked. And the Holy Spirit said, did you just push them towards Christ or did you push them away from Christ? Did you just show them grace? And I hate to say that I got convicted on our anniversary celebration, but conviction set in. And I told, tried to make my penance for doing it, and I called their waiter over and I said, send me their bill. And I paid for their bill. And the waitress went over, it was a waitress, the waitress went over and told them that guy over there just paid their bill. And you know, they turned around and looked and it's like, ooh, that guy? Why did he pay our bill? You see, God wants us to be his hands and his feet. God wants us to serve. That's what Saturday is all about. Saturday is about us serving our community. Do they deserve it? Not necessarily. Do we deserve grace from God that he has showed us? Definitely not. So it's not about serving somebody that deserves it. And it's not about patting ourselves on the back saying, look what we just did. Aren't we awesome Christians? It's about us doing what God has done for us and demonstrating his grace for us. You see, grace became a consuming passion in my heart and in my life because I want to be full of grace and truth as Jesus was full of grace and truth. My goal is to be like him. I will never achieve that. 
But my goal is to take that pattern and try to walk in the steps that he has given us. And this, this evening, I just want to look at for a few minutes at 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Because here is a perfect story of grace shown to somebody who did not deserve grace. Somebody who was not looking for grace. Somebody who didn't even know they needed grace all of a sudden was shown the grace of God through somebody else. In 2 Samuel chapter number 9, this is the story of David and Mephibosheth. David had just become king, and Mephibosheth had, had, had his servant had run from the kingdom, from the capital, into hiding because the tradition was that when the new king became king, he would kill all the other family so that they wouldn't rise up against him and try to overtake the kingdom. And so Mephibosheth's maid or maidservant grabbed him and took off running, dropped Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet, but had grown up in a place called Lodabar. And David here begins to ask a question of, is there somebody of the house of Saul that I can show the grace of God to? But before we get to that point, I want to back up into chapter number eight in verse number 13. It says, and David got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the Valley of Salt. Now, David was a warrior king. David was a fierce warrior. But David, even though he had been in battle, even though David had fought, even though David had, had destroyed the enemies of God, David did not allow the grace of God to depart from his life. And my challenge tonight for you is that no matter what battles you're facing and no matter what difficulties you're going through and no matter what financial problems you're facing and things you're going through or health crisis that you're going through or family problems you're going through, don't let the battles destroy your grace that God wants you to show to other people. So many times we focus on our problems and the things we're facing and the difficulties we're going through and we never allow the grace of God to flow through us. But David did not let the battle destroy his grace. David, in verse number one of chapter number nine, said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, we see and understand that Jonathan and David made a pact years ago, and David was now going to keep that pact if there was anybody left in this house. He was gonna show kindness for Jonathan's sake and though we show, show kindness for the sake of somebody else, don't forget that God is revealed through this. Look at verse number three. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Wait a minute, David. I thought you said this was kindness for Jonathan's sake. Yes, it is kindness because of a pact I made with Jonathan, but the kindness that is, that is given through us will reflect the heart of God. When you go out this weekend and you give people quarters at the laundromat, that's an opportunity for you to show the kindness of God to people. Yes, you are doing it, but it's not for us to show ourselves, it's for us to show the kindness of God to those who need it. When you're downtown and you're feeding the homeless people, it's not a time for us to pat ourselves on the back and say, look at how good we are. Look at us giving food to people that need it. It's time for us to sit down and talk to people and say, tell me about your story. Tell me how you got here. There's a lady that I met a several weeks ago and she walked downtown Toledo 
And she had her dog and she's living on the streets and she's been there for six weeks now. And I went back last week and I saw her and talked to her. And I found out that she is just like I am. I'm no better than her. I don't deserve what I have. And all it takes is one short period of time and I could be exactly where she is. And all she wants is for somebody to show the kindness of God to her. When you're at the nursing homes in the area, it's not there for you to show your kids that they need to give time to the people in the nursing home. It is for us to show our kids that we need to give our time to the people in the nursing home. And when you do that, you find that there is so much more that you receive than what you ever thought that you would give. There's a man yesterday that I introduced to my daughter, Juliana. His name is Joseph. And I said, Juliana, I said, that guy over there, he said, that's, I said, I want to introduce you to him. And Joseph came up and he's talking to Juliana and he's like, hey, what's up, you know? And, and Juliana was just looking at him and, and uh, but just talking to him, he was hilarious. He was, he was, had jokes and he knew sports and he, and I found out that Joseph was just like me. And I realized that I was receiving more from Joseph who didn't have anything, who was there just for a meal. I was receiving more from Joseph than I was giving to him. Don't forget that the kindness that we show to people is the kindness of God, not us. David had this desire to show kindness to Mephibosheth. But if you look at verse number three, it says, and Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. The first thing that Ziba said was, yes, there is a son, but you won't like him because of his lameness, because of his problem. But grace does not focus on your faults. Grace focuses on your future. You see, when Jesus gave, when God gave his son Jesus to us, he wasn't focusing on our faults. He was focusing on the future we could have with him if we receive that grace. Grace wants to cover up those faults. Grace wants to take care of those faults. Grace wants to redeem those faults. Grace does not focus on those faults. And so many times we walk down the streets and we see a person that is homeless that's, that's sleeping on the streets or, or sitting on the streets that's asking for money and we step off to the side just a little bit because, well, they're homeless. Yes, but they need somebody to show them the grace of God and look past their faults and not see their problems. To look at them as a human being that is in need of the grace of God and to stop and to talk and to share with them the love that we have received. David sent, in verse number four, David sent for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, it says, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Now, Lodabar was not one of those places that you wanted to live. Lodabar was a barren place. Lodabar was a place that was, was awful. It was dry. It was not a place that people went to as a resort town. Lodabar was that place that people did not want to go. And 
Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. And David said, go get him. David didn't say, send a note to, Lo- to Lodabar and, and find Mephibosheth and tell him, if he, if he can make it here, then I'll give him grace. Grace provided a way to get to the king. You see, that's what grace is supposed to do for us. Grace is supposed to flow through us to provide a way for people to get to the king. You see, when, you, when we can get people to the king, they realize that their life needs to be changed. They realize that there's opportunity and possibility. They realize that there's hope. Because without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no future. And if we can just get people to the king, they will find that they have a future that is far greater than what they could ever have imagined, just as Mephibosheth did. Now David, in verses five and six, David sent for him, and Mephibosheth came in fear to David. In verse number seven, and David said unto him, fear not. When grace is in your heart, your desire is to release people from their fear. If you study the New Testament and you study Jesus and the words Jesus said, Jesus oftentimes told people, fear not. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because he wants to release us from that fear that is in our hearts. When we have the grace of God to see people that are in need and you walk into a nursing home and you see somebody who has been there and you ask the people that work there, do they ever have visitors? No. And you're able to walk into a room to a man or to a lady that, has n- that does not have family that comes and visits, that they've been put there and you walk in and you look at their face and they are just so happy to see somebody coming in their room just to spend some time with them, just to see a face, just to hear a voice, just to have a conversation, and they're afraid that nobody's gonna come. Fear captures their heart, and grace releases us from that fear. Verse number seven, for I will surely show thee the kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul that thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Notice in this verse that he was going to restore all the land of Saul, his father. Grace restores all that was ours. Satan tries to take from us the things that that he can from us. He tries to steal from us. He tries to take our joy. He tries to take that which God has given to us. He tries to take our peace, but grace restores all of that. But then grace, notice in verse number seven here, that that thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Grace heaps on blessings that were never ours. You see, when you go serve somebody today or this Saturday and you give them money to do their laundry, that is more than they've ever than they've looked for. They're not expecting somebody to do that. For somebody to stop and to take some moments to, to have a conversation with them and share Christ with them, they're not expecting that, but then grace heaps on more and they receive Christ as their savior and they find that the joy that they've got, the life that they now live is greater than they could ever have imagined. Grace heaps on that which we never thought was ours. But I think the most important thing about this story 
is found in verse number 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Grace always reaches more than just that person who receives it. You see, you may be sharing a moment. You may be sharing some money. You may be sharing some food. You may be sharing time with somebody. But as we were at the picnic yesterday, there were young children walking around. And you know, when you share grace with somebody, oftentimes that grace flows down to somebody else. How many times have you been blessed by somebody and you in return pass that blessing on to somebody? Grace is supposed to flow through us and when God gives us grace and fills our heart with grace and we pass that along to somebody else, that grace begins to flow down through the people it hits and it begins to pass from one person to the next and we see here that it wasn't just Mephibosheth that was blessed by this. It was Mephibosheth's son Micah who received the blessing. He never thought it was coming. He knew his past. He knew his history and he thought there's no way that that'll ever be restored to me. But grace brought him to a place he never could have imagined. You see, grace is amazing. It is a sweet sound. It did save us. But it doesn't stop at our salvation. It goes on and it does a greater work than we could have ever imagined. The last thing I want you to see tonight is in verse number 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Grace makes a seat at the table for those who are crippled by life. I don't know why, but homeless people have a very soft spot in my heart. Brother Fish introduced me to a coffee shop in downtown Toledo. I love coffee. And Rust Belt Coffee is a good coffee shop. They did not pay me to say that. <laughs> and he said, you've got to go down to Rust Belt Coffee sometime. And so I went down and I ordered myself a coffee and I had my Bible and I was reading and I had a journal and I was writing. And out of the corner of my eye, this guy walks in the door, walks to the counter, he gets a drink, and he leaves. And I could tell that he was not probably a patron in this store very often. But I saw the heads turn as he came in and as he left. A few moments later, probably 15 to 20 minutes later, he and, his, and a lady friend came walking in the door. And they came in, and they were conversing with the lady at the counter, and the lady at the counter said, I think I saw you guys yesterday. Didn't you come in here and ask for water yesterday? And he said, yeah, he said, uh, he said I'm just, just trying to get home, trying to get to Cleveland, and I'm stuck here in Toledo. And we all know how it is to be stuck somewhere in life that you don't want to be. And you're trying to figure out how to get out of this. How do I change this? How do I, what do I do to change the circumstances that I find myself stuck in. And I remembered the verse that says, if there is somebody who is hungry or somebody that is naked and you say to them, 
be warm, be fed, and God bless you. What is your faith? It's worthless. And I said, thank you, God. Interruption in my day. Now I've got to do something about this. And I walked up to him, and you could smell the urine smell coming off of him. And I said, I bumped him and I said, hey, can I buy you a coffee? I hear it's good coffee. He said, yeah. Would you do that? I said, absolutely. I said, let's get him a coffee. And I said, are you hungry? Yeah. I said, would, all they have is donuts. I said, do you want a donut? He said, yeah, I'd take two. I said, okay. Let's get him two donuts, cup of coffee. He says, I'm going I'm to take one to my girlfriend. I just met her yesterday. And uh, I'm gonna, we'll share the donuts and we'll split the coffee. And uh, she said, well, it's just going to be a minute for a coffee. We're brewing it. And so I'm like, hey, you know, I hope, hope things get better for you. He said, can I sit down with you? I'm like, okay, come on. So we sat down and you could see the eyes look like you're not supposed to be in here. You're one of those. And we sat on the couch and he was like, wow, this couch is comfortable. And we talked and he's headed back to Cleveland and life has messed him up. And he said, could you pray for me? I said, absolutely. I said, do you know if Jesus is your savior? Do you know that you have a relationship with God? Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? He said, yeah. He said, I just, I just, I don't think he listens to me anymore. I said, you know what? I said, he does. He cares about you. And I just want to let you know that I care about you as well. And God will always provide for you. Trust him. Go back to him and get your relationship right. And I don't say that to brag about myself. I say that because when he left, he probably does not remember me, but I remember him. He did so much more for me than, what he, than I did for him. I, it was six bucks. What's six dollars? But he walked away and he was, had food in his hand and coffee in his hand and he just, just was grateful for the conversation for somebody to recognize him as a human being. And tonight, we've been in a lot of battles. Life is difficult. I mean, we could give testimonies of the things that we're facing and the problems and the challenges and the things going on. And, you know, if we're really honest and, and we'd, we'd be honest with each other, we'd say, sometimes I just don't even know how I'm going to go on. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of blessing and we've been through the battle and all of a sudden now things have opened up just like David, the warrior king. Now he's sitting back and he's looking at his, at his kingdom and he's seeing all that God has blessed him with and he remembers at that time, there's somebody that I need to bless. Tonight I ask you, is grace simply that thing that saved you? 
Is grace in your life simply amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? Or are you down to verse number three or four? All good Baptists don't sing all four verses of a song. We sing the first, second, and the third, or the first, third, and fourth. So I don't know which stanza it is. But it says, the grace that brought me safe thus far and grace to lead me home. You see, grace at the beginning of that song is the grace that saves us. But grace at the end of that song is the grace that continually builds us and makes us and molds us into what Christ wants us to be and turns us into the grace givers, the channels. And tonight I want to ask you, are you passing grace along? God, give me grace God will give you opportunities for you to demonstrate grace to the world around you. Saturday is going to be one of those days. Will you allow God to use you to show grace to the people in this community who oftentimes find themselves in the worst places to be in life?